We are partway through a series at the moment called Spiritual Depth in Shallow Times. And this series, it unveils three keys to spiritual depth. Obviously, by observing the way that Jesus did it back in biblical times. Our sermon today is called Connect to Jesus, and Caleb is going to be out in a moment. But as he's just preparing, I just encourage you to watch this video. Our mission is simple. Hi, I'm Caleb Nichols, the leader of this fantastic church. Our mission is simple. Connect, grow, reach. Connect is about people meeting and then continually developing a deep relationship with Jesus. Grow recognises that spiritual health and development truly occurs when people choose to grow together through active participation in the life of the church. Reach ensures that our mission is Jesus' mission. We're deeply committed to share the gospel with people in our community. 500,000 people live within 15 minutes of this church. We reach this mission field by encouraging our people to be closely involved in the community. They develop authentic friendships and in turn invite people into their homes or life groups or Sunday church that they may connect with Jesus also. Our mission is directly taken from the Bible. Therefore, it's relevant to all people, the church as well as the non-religious or the child. Similarly, our mission is relevant all the time. We all need to continually connect with Jesus, grow together and reach our community with the gospel. Super. We on? That's it. That was the sermon. Let's just pray and we'll just close this up and, and get going for an early lunch, eh? <laughs> uh, three unchanging marks of spiritual depth, spiritual growth are really captured in our uh, mission statement um, that you saw just there. The connect, the grow and the reach. And uh, this really sums up the the message of Jesus, it sums up what it means to be a Christian, and therefore we have drawn from the Bible uh, these words in order to give us a sense of what we're doing as a, as a church. A mission is, is, is for any organization, is how you go about achieving your vision, how you get to the goal, the great call that God has called us to as a church. How do we get there? Well, we get there by connecting, we get there by growing, and we get there by reaching the, the reason, the only real reason, in 10 years of being a senior minister, the only real reason that someone's going to come to church or someone's going to go to a life group or someone's going to read their Bible, the only real reason anyone's going to do that when everything gets shaken down is because they want to grow spiritually. That's it. The only real reason you're here and going to sit through another one of my sermons today is because you want to know God a little bit better. You want to grow in that relationship with God a little bit better. It's not me. No one really comes to listen to me preach. It's not your friends. No one really comes to sit through church because they want to hang out with their friends. Ultimately, when push comes to shove, it's because there's something in you that says, I want to get to know God a little bit better. And what I love about our mission is that this is what it all revolves around. Connecting to Jesus is going to grow you and make you deeper. Growing together as a church community is going to grow you and make you deeper. Reaching out to somebody else, thinking of someone else before yourself, going beyond the four walls of the church is going to cause you to get on your knees and cry out to God. Has anyone ever shared the gospel with a friend and told someone who doesn't and never heard about this Jesus guy what, what that means? 
If you've done that, it usually pushes you to prayer, pushes you to the Bible, pushes you to ask questions about faith because you've got to have an answer. It causes you to grow. And what I love about this mission as well is that it's relevant to all people all the time. Nobody clocks this game. Nobody ends this game. Nobody runs over this finish line and says, hey, Pastor Caleb, I've connected perfectly with Jesus. Hey, Pastor Caleb, I'm so connected with my church family. I mentor people. I'm mentored. I've I've done it. I've prayed enough. I've connected enough. I've got so many people hearing about Jesus and talking about Jesus. And many people have come to Jesus through me. I've clocked this level. Now I'm just going to sit back and cruise through the rest of Christianity and wait till heaven. Nobody can do that because nobody can clock this. Nobody can finish this. It's an ongoing. That's why it's in a circle. Uh You're starting to connect the dots now, aren't you? That's why it's circular rather than linear because it's something that we always grow in. When you first form a relationship with Jesus, there's a connection there. And then you realize, oh, part of being a Christian is you actually get this whole spiritual family. Awesome. And then you're like, I'm going to tell someone I'm a Christian. It's this big first thing, like I've made this commitment to follow God. But then you grow as a Christian. You realize, oh, that was, that was kind of level one. Now I connect deeper. Now I grow together more. Now I share the gospel and influence through, through things like work and, and through things like my neighbors in my street. And everything progressively goes and gets deeper and deeper and broader and broader and broader. The connection to Jesus, if we just jump to the next slide, is about spiritual depth through spiritual practices like prayer and Bible study. We're going to focus on that a little bit today. The growing together piece is about spiritual depth by living in a discipleship community. There is no spiritual maturity possible without living in Christian community. You cannot grow as a Christian without being connected to other human beings. That's why God said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Spiritual success doesn't actually play out in how spiritual you think your connection is here. The measure of spiritual success and growth all plays out in how you treat other people. And the ultimate test of that is loving your enemies, genuinely being able to love those who hate you is the ultimate test of what that is. Depth in the community means that loving those who aren't church, don't know about the Christian stuff, through sharing the gospel, the news about Jesus Christ. And with the gospel really comes hospitality. That's the main method of evangelism that Jesus used. If you read the gospel of Luke and look at hospitality in the gospel of Luke, you actually realize the whole gospel of Luke is Jesus going to a party, hanging out a party, and then leaving and going to the next party. He's essentially going from one dinner and one party to the next, all through the Gospel of Luke. Luke puts it right in there. Being a Christian, following Jesus is about eating and drinking. Jesus was called a glutton and a drunkard because he partied so much. He was constantly going out for dinner. He was constantly going to weddings. He was constantly even inviting himself over to people's houses for food because this is how the kingdom expands. It doesn't expand through stages and people listening. It expands through heart to heart, house to house, food, drink, sharing life, praying for one another, helping each other move forward in the faith. And over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack these three elements and I'm going to use the Gospel of Luke. So Luke chapter 5 and 6 we're going to focus on today is where Jesus calls his disciples. You'll see the model here, okay, of Connect, Grow, Reach. He calls his disciples. 
to come and hang out with him, to come and follow him, to come and watch what he does. He's teaching them like he's a master, a rabbi, and they're an apprentice. It's all very hands-on, but they follow and they watch. Then what begins to happen in Luke chapter 7 and 8 is Jesus begins to build them into a team. They move from just individuals following Jesus into a team. Jesus actually starts to go, hey, part of the kingdom of God is actually you guys relating to each other, not competing for position, not competing for who loves Jesus the most, but actually coming together as a team, actually learning to confess your sin to one another, actually learning to walk together. And then in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the disciples. And you probably remember this chapter. It's very exciting. They go out. And all of a sudden, they can do miracles like Jesus can do miracles. They can see the devil and Satan and evil and all the bad, all the nasty stuff come under the power of Jesus through their prayers and their ministry. And they start to realize, hey, we're not only following Jesus, we're not only hanging out with Jesus, we're becoming like Jesus and moving in the power of Jesus. Connect, Grow, Reach is about loving God, loving others and loving the world in really simple, simple terms. It covers the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the, the great commandment. And it covers the great commission, the other great commandment. to go all into all the world. Preach the good news of the gospel. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Baptize them. Teach them. It covers all of those. This has come out of a few years of praying and talking, and I think it's just a great mission statement that we're starting to roll out a little bit, and I want to tell you a bit more about it over the weeks to come. So let's go back to the start. We're going to talk about Connect to Jesus today and Jesus in Luke chapter 5 and 6. Give me a very quick overview here. Luke chapter 5 starts with Jesus going fishing. Do you remember the story? Peter, James, and John fishing. He says to them, throw the net on the other side. And they're like, Jesus, you don't get fishing, carpenters, catching fish. Like, do you not see the connection here? And Jesus says, just throw your nets on the other side of the boat. I know you haven't caught anything all night. And they throw it on the other side and they get this miraculous capture of fish. Thousands and thousands of fish in their nets. And then all of a sudden, whoa, Peter, James and John, you've got my attention. They get out of the boat. Peter falls on his knees and Jesus says, come follow me. They leave their jobs. They leave their careers. They leave their security, they leave their wage that's going to pay their bills and feed their family. It's extreme stuff, and they follow Jesus. These guys have wives, these guys have kids, but they follow Jesus. There's a connection. There's a connection with Christ that trumps every other priority in their life. So as they go on, they start following Jesus. The next story we bump into is the healing of the leper. A man with leprosy is healed. The next story we bump into is Jesus is at a house again, another person's house. And the four men put a paralytic man through the roof and Jesus heals him and now he can walk. A man with a withered hand is healed. He goes over to another party at Matthew, the tax collector's house. And Matthew is convicted. He makes a connection with Jesus and says, I'm going to give all the money back. Stops being a thief, gives away his corruption, says, I'm going to follow Jesus. This is what it's like to connect with Jesus. This is what it's like to hang around with Jesus. Now these guys are getting a little bit of a sense. This one's a bit controversial. The next story in Luke chapter 5 is Jesus and his disciples start picking heads of grain. As they're walking through a field, there's heads of grain. They start picking them and eating, eating it. 
That doesn't seem too bad, does it? But it's the Sabbath. It's the day when you are not meant to work. It's the day that's meant to be set aside to the Lord our God. And it's very controversial. Hanging out with Jesus, connecting to Jesus, you start to realize Jesus breaks some rules. Jesus throws things that we thought was right, and he says, no, they're not so right. Jesus does things a little bit differently. He's not just towing the line. He actually has a whole new kingdom. He has a whole new approach to life. Jesus isn't just going to keep doing the Jewish thing. Jesus is going to take everything deeper and more meaningful. So we better listen and we better take heed. And at the end of chapter 6, Jesus comes down from a mountain of prayer and he says, this is the 12 guys that are going to follow me. These are my 12. This is my team. He chooses his team of 12. This is the disciples that I'm going to form into a group that are going to grow together, be discipled together, be trained together. Even Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, didn't say, I'm going to be the rabbi on the stage giving out guru-type teachings that you will all follow. No, even Jesus himself said, I'm going to facilitate discussion. I'm going to ask you hard questions. We're going to find God together. He straight away takes God and the kingdom of God with all its power and turns it into a team effort. The call to follow or to connect with Jesus goes to you. It goes to you. It goes to you. Come follow me. But the call to follow Jesus faces an oppressive tyrant. We live in a season of looking for tyrants. So let's talk about tyrants. Where's the next tyrant? Who's the next tyrant? Which leader's the tyrant? Okay, let me tell you about a real tyrant here. A ruthless master that seeks to enslave you from the freedom found in a loving relationship with Jesus. The devil comes to us today in our modern society as this tyrant. It's the tyrant called hurrying, rushing. Hurry enslaves us to a shallow existence and relegates spiritual growth to an afterthought, to the too hard basket, or spiritual growth is relegated to the someday. Someday I'll sort my prayer life out. Don't we live out of that so much? Someday I'll, I'll, I'll go deeper. Someday I'll deal with my deep emotional issues that keep screwing my spiritual walk up and my relationships. Someday I'll get there. Someday I'll sit down and I'll read the Bible properly. Someday is the symptom of this tyrant called hurry. I shared this quickly last year, but I'll say it again. In, 1960, in the 1960s, there was a US Senate committee hearing where they told the US government, experts told the US government that by the 80s, by about the mid-80s, so give us a couple of decades, the average American would only work 22 hours a week for six months of the year. The advancement in technology would release us from the need to work. The advancement in technology would bring the prices of things down, would bring the need to work down. And, and most Americans or most Westerners would work in the morning and then play golf in the afternoon, would work in the morning, and then would take their, pick their children up from school and spend high-quality time with their children. Most people would be able to give their time to humanitarian things and serving the community and, and having healthy emotional lives and, 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 and being at rest in their hearts. This is what the futurists told us in the 60s. But guess what? They were, they were right. 
the robots, the iPhones, the computerized kitchen appliances, the automated work systems that we use, and emails, and Zoom, and banking apps, and all the things came, and all the, the robots did the work, and everything was computerized. But there's one little thing that we forgot. There's always going to be more money to be made. There's always going to be a bigger TV to get. There's always going to be a better holiday to go after. There's always going to be better entertainment to have, better experiences to pursue. And so, no, we did not work a 20, we do not work 22 hours a week and play golf in the afternoons. We work harder, we work longer, we chase more money, we chase more experiences. And guess what, everyone? Life is currently at an unsustainable pace. I don't know if you've realized. Richard Swanson, in his book, Margin, talks about the speed of societal development or technological development. If you think of history as a spectrum, and you've got the, you know, the Stone Age and the Bronze Age and the Iron Age, and you've got technological advances in human history over time. And he says in his book, Swanson, that the last 30 years of technological development and human development is like the 5,000 years that preceded it is greater than the 5,000 years that preceded it. So essentially, the development of humankind and, and the speed of time has been a flat line. And then you get to the 90s and it goes like that. All of human history since I've been alive like that. Technology, time, rushing to do, speed. We have a generation, Generation Z, are called the generation of anxiety. Your children and teenagers will be the most anxious humans that have lived in human history. They're going to be restless. They're going to be frustrated. They're going to be anxious. They're going to be seeing psychologists. They're going to be taking pills to sleep, pills to wake up, pills to get through class, pills to get a job. Why? Because we rush and we push and we shove and we've used our technology to earn money and to enjoy experiences rather than to slow down and to do what's important and to find rest. The average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. Some of you touch your phone 784 times during my sermon. <laughs> and I know everyone's not taking notes. But we can't help it. You've got to send a text in worship. You've got to get out of your seat in worship and go to the bathroom. You've got to quickly look at an email in the middle of a sermon. Now, I'm not, I'm not offended. It's fine. But, but we struggle. We try to pray, but then a notification pops up. We're touching our phone all the time. It's just another symptom of this rushing, urgent world that we live in. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and if you can only read one book a year, I know some of us aren't very good at reading, read this book. Read this book. It's life transforming. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry he says, There is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry doesn't get dealt with by thinking about it once or hearing with one, one sermon. It takes a ruthless approach. It takes understanding hurry and rushing as a tyrant that will oppress you and take the most special thing from you, your ability to connect with God. The one thing that's going to matter when you die, your relationship with God and what you did with it. When you stand before God, he's not going to say, oh, thank God you kept up with the news. You know, well done just answering those notifications and reading those e-newsletters and just sitting with your mates and knowing the latest stuff. Oh, well done. Come into heaven, my good and faithful servant. 
Well done, those extra hours at the office and you know, hammering away, building stuff and making that extra few bucks. So instead of going to New South Wales, you could go to Fiji for a holiday. Like, well done, my good and faithful servant. Thank goodness your kids are going to follow Jesus because you drove a better car. No, he's not. He's going to look at you and say, my son, my daughter, let's talk. Let's love each other. Let's have a relationship. Remember, Jesus told us in Matthew 7, the Lord, Lord company, they don't get very far. Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. Lord, Lord, we did miracles in your name. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, I, I don't know you. What, you did Christian stuff? What, you earned money and then said it was a kingdom business? But, but, but I don't really know you. I don't really know you. Coma goes on, he says, the number one problem you will face as a human is time. Now, unless you're an alien here today or a robot here today, and who knows, there could be some artificial intelligence, maybe you're not really here and it's just, I don't know, maybe, who knows in the future? Maybe we'll do church by VR and we'll all just wear masks at home and who knows? But if you're here this morning, I'm pretty sure you get it. The number one problem you will face is time. People are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. Mic drop, that one, isn't it? If you could meditate on that with God every day this week, that could potentially transform your life. Coming out of the lockdowns at the end of last year, Zoe and I were just so concerned that the rush of 2019 was going to flood back in. And as I was praying and seeking God, it was the only thing I could pray about. I was like, God, I just can't go back to the values, the priorities, the calendar that I did before. I wasn't coming out of a, like, I want to be super healthy or, you know, I want to be, I want to be better or I want to perform better in, in my life. It wasn't coming out of some life coachy, you know, Instagram coach type, let's be awesome, let's just be awesome, just be better, do better. You know, it wasn't one of those things. It was coming out of, like, honestly, I just want to find God more. I don't want to sound religious or pious here. It was just a genuine desire that as we come out of lockdowns, I just want to get to know Jesus better. And I started to realize that, man, I could hear it. You know, it was like the tsunami had already started. The wave had already crashed. It was coming towards us at the end of the lockdowns. I was like, I can't take my marriage, my family, my life and just just be flooded away again as the whitewash just comes after the lockdowns. The only thing that can stop you from hurrying, can stop you from rushing around, doing life, but missing God. The only thing is a greater desire to know Jesus, a greater desire to know God. As I mentioned at the beginning, the one real motive of what it is to be a Christian to come to church, that you want to grow spiritually. That's the only thing. Trying to be better with your time won't work. Trying to discipline yourself to get up earlier to pray we all know that our will is futile, has strength for a day or two. It's like everyone who goes to the gym for the first seven or eight days of the year, and by about January 7, January 8, January 9, the gym's back to normal gym again, and the normal people are there, and all the people who had the New Year's resolutions are back at home. Our will won't do it. You can't just try this stuff. You've just got to have a loving relationship with God, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The ruthless elimination of hurry, Mark, John Mark Comer says again, it may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, which leads to two, 
God becoming more marginalized in Christian lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live. That's how you prioritize, how you spend your money, what you do with your time, what you wear, how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, and then the cycle begins again. Shallowness. We're talking about shallow times. Shallowness demands hurry. I hope you're feeling confronted today because I feel convicted preaching this sermon. (laughs) This is really challenging me. It's challenging me. You don't realize the pain I go through as I prepare these sermons during the week because it hits my heart and it convicts my sin and it challenges my lifestyle. I I don't want to just be the pastor that preaches to you and then tags all the things I do as okay. Because it's not. It's tough. Shallowness demands hurry, slowing. Everyone say it together. Let's say it together. Slowing. Can you say it slowly? Slowing. Slowing produces spiritual depth. A slowed down spirituality. Who's noticed that rushing to God, rushing from God, rushing your prayers up, they actually don't create depth. It requires a slowed down spirituality. Last week, I spoke to you a little bit about the monastic tradition that came out of the Desert Fathers in the second and third century. And it's, it's interesting, it's interesting that what their Christianity, the monks, the priests, the nuns, what their Christianity is famous for is being slow, is being simple, is taking a vow of poverty. So rejecting the money, therefore the consuming, therefore the materialism, therefore the need for stuff that comes with the world in order to find God. Even to the point of rejecting sex, marriage, taking a vow of celibacy. It's ironic, isn't it, that the people that we look to who know God, find God and tell us how to follow God are not the people who rush, are not the people that do heaps of stuff. You listen to the great leaders in our Christian world even today Most of them practice Sabbath. Most of them practice fasting. Most of them have a lifestyle that spends time with God. Yet even though we listen to these guys and read these guys in the Bible and appreciate all the saints of of Christian history, we struggle to live in their way, although we want the benefits of that kind of lifestyle. There's seven spiritual practices that I want to talk to you about more later on this year. But these practices... For all of Christian history, the last 2,000 years have been there and have been the way that people have maintained a healthy connection with Jesus. Their simplicity, prayer, Bible study, Sabbath, fasting, life in Christian community, so that might look like Sundays, meals, life groups, sharing with each other, coffees, and then finally silence and solitude. These seven practices are seven defenses against shallowness the shallowness that poisons our spiritual growth. I've come back continually over the last few years as I've sought God and asked God and want to grow with Him more and more. I've continually come back to Philippians chapter 3. I just cannot get away with it. And in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You've got gains and you've got loss. 
Paul has just told us all of the awesome things that he had done as a Hebrew, as a devout follower of God. All of these gains, all of these positions, all of these prayers, he says, now all of these things are just a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everyone say value. To Paul's value, the surpassing word, the most valuable thing was to know Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. All things. And you're not just talking about losing things because he's been persecuted or he's had a hard time because of the gospel, but he's also talking about losing things because he's given them away. Like the monks and the desert fathers that, that, that uh, they've denied, denied money pushed away, rejected the pace of life. He's also lost things that he's chosen to lose. sorry. And I'm sure you've experienced this in your life before, where you've had a relationship with Jesus, a moment with Jesus, a prayer, something's gone on in your life, and you've chosen to deny yourself, you've chosen to reject something, because to find God will always require a rejection of something that gets in the way or distracts you from God. You don't find God and keep everything else. You don't find Jesus and just live with all of the sin. Christianity has this funny thing where sin and Jesus are tied together, where spiritual depth and shallowness are tied together. They're part of the same discussion. You'll never get a deeper relationship with Jesus and still be a shallow person. No, you're going to be a deep person. You're never going to get a great relationship with Jesus and follow him with all your heart and then still just pursue selfishness and money and all the things that you want. No, you're just going to loot. All of those things will begin to, I just, they just have no value anymore. They're tied together. But you're also never going to be able to pursue the things of this world and then have a deep relationship with Jesus. You can't have both. You can't pursue self career, doing stuff for your family, all the good things. You can't pursue that as the number one priority and then think that Christ will be the center. Remember the first week? Christ will be the center of your life and just be balanced. Jesus, the gospel at the center, that comes first and everything fits around it. I want to know Christ, says Paul. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. What? 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 Participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Oof. This is getting extreme, Paul. Do you read this stuff like me? Sometimes I read this stuff and go, this is just metaphorical. This is just Paul. He's pretty, he's pretty extreme. Jesus is loving. He doesn't want us to suffer and die. But no, 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 you've got to hear Paul. You've got to trust that this is the man of God. You've got to trust that this guy has gone to the depths of God and touched something that a lot of people don't. And it says, follow me like I follow Christ. There's a model here. There's an opportunity here. So let's listen with those ears. I want to know Christ, know him, love him, the knowledge of him. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Well, we all want that. We want power. We want miracles. We want to raise the dead. We want to be that kind of Christian, of course. But then look, it's participation. To get to the power of raising people from the dead, it's first of all participating in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and somehow to attain from the resurrection of the dead. I've got great news for you though, church. Whenever you suffer, whenever you feel like you're dying for the cause of Christ, resurrection will come. Rebirth will come. 
life will come. If you feel like you've suffered, you've died, you've gone through something over the last couple of years, I'm telling you, in the, in the kingdom economy, resurrection follows. Amen. But for Paul, it was all built on, I just want to know Christ more. In 2009, I began to develop romantic feelings for my best friend. My best friend of a few years, Zoe Hornsby, started to become more than a best friend. She, I started to develop these romantic feelings for her. And I, I spoke to a pastor and we chatted about it and we both agreed it was the right time to share with her how I really felt and to ask her about a relationship. And so I sat with her and I said, hey, I'm really keen on you. I know we're great friends, but I, I want more. I want to go deep. I want to know you more. She didn't answer me. She didn't give me an answer. The next morning, we had a conference that started here in this church. And guess what? She was on my team. I was a pastor then, and she was on my team as, as, as part of the running of the conference. And I saw her the next morning, and I pulled her aside. And if you knew, if you knew 2009, Caleb, then this wouldn't surprise you. I pulled her abruptly aside, and I said to her, so, you know, Bought out my heart, uh, I really like you, like, you know, what, come on, what's, you know, let's do this thing, let's get it done, I've made my decision, you're the one, let's get on with life, no answer, no answer, I had sleepless nights for a week, I had anxiety for a week, I think I felt actually lovesick for a week, she wouldn't answer, eventually after a week, she gave me her answer. She said, all right, let's, let's start a relationship and let's see where this goes. You know, it's only true love that slows us down. It's only true love that brings us into such a laser focus. When I realized this was the girl for me, there was nothing more I could think about. I was lovesick. I was anxious. I didn't know what to do with myself. She wouldn't give me an answer. She made me wait I got on my knees, I prayed, I hoped, I drew aside and had that conversation. I tried to convince her, I tried to say, give me an answer, hurry up. When love came into my heart, my focus narrowed so quickly and everything else in this world faded away. I couldn't tell you what one sermon was from that conference. I don't even know which conference it was. All of the details of life didn't matter because I was falling in love with a girl that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. This is the secret to eliminating, ruthlessly eliminating hurry in your life. It's love. Mark John Comer goes on to say, this is the new speed of life, isn't it? The hurry, the speed. It's anti-Christ. Think about it. What has the highest value in Christ's kingdom economy? Easy. Love. Jesus made that crystal clear. He said, the greatest commandment in all of the Torah was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength, followed by love your neighbor as yourself. But love is painfully time-consuming. Are you hurrying to become the person that you don't even want to be? Are you hurrying to get the money to buy the stuff that you don't even really want? While Jesus is sitting there saying, spend time with me. 
I will give you life to the full. I will give you rest to your soul. I will give you purpose and destiny. This is what it means. This is the first step in our mission statement to have a loving, healthy, deep connection to Jesus. It's not about doing ministry at church. It's not about paying your tithes. The first and foremost step is love Jesus. Have a connection to Jesus. This is the center of the Christian life. There's two things as we finish today, we can begin to hand out communion. There's two things that really center you and connect you to Jesus more than anything else. The first one is prayer, having a quiet time, a devotional time, whatever you call it, whatever you called it growing up, taking some time every day to spend time with God. The second one is studying the Bible, the Word of God. Why is prayer so important? Why is spending a little bit of time with Jesus every day so important? There's four simple things you need to do in order to have a prayer time. The first one is you've got to have space. You've got to have a spot. Two S's for that one. You've got to have somewhere you go. Some people like a park, a beach, something like that. I sit out on my back al fresco as the sun's coming up in the morning. often have to wear a jumper because it's a bit chilly. And I just sit there and I breathe him in and I breathe him out. And I love him and I talk to him. And I get all the crap off my chest of the day before. And I pray about anything coming up that concerns me. And I read a couple of devotionals. I'm reading through Psalms at the moment. I'm also reading one by um, Eugene Peterson, the writer of The Message, a yearly devotion. So much. You know, we have more Christian resource available at our fingertips now than ever before. And we still don't have time to read something. You can hover and click on one word in your Bible and almost everything that's been written in theology and, and, and scholarly work over 2,000 years is at your fingertips on your phone that you could read into the depths of that one word in the Bible as deep as you wanted. But we don't even have time to sit there. The first thing we must do is take, take a moment every day with Jesus. If you've never, ever done this before, if you're, not, if you're sitting here, you're not a Christian, if you're so drifted away from God over the last few years that you haven't prayed for months, I encourage you, just reconnect. It's not difficult. You don't need to be anything. You don't need to know anything. You don't need to have anything. Just take 10 minutes, find a space. The second thing you need is silence. I'll give you four S's. They're just coming to me right now. You need a spot. You need silence. You need scripture. You need scripture. Silence is critical because I have four kids. And so what happens when I, if I get up too late to do a little devotion with Jesus? I get one kid and I get the second kid come out and then I get Jed sit on my lap and say, can I use your phone to play a game? Uh, I'm trying to read that. I'm trying to have some time with Jesus. It's hard. I've got to find silence. I've got to find a spot that's free from kids or I've got to get the kids out of there in order to have that silence. You've got to have scripture. Because the Bible is the Word of God. We read the Bible not because we should. We read the Bible because that is the nature of God. If I stood up here and you never heard me speak, you couldn't know me. You could see me, but you can't know me. So many of us can see God or see an image of God or, or maybe have seen God in a movie or Him expressed in culture in a certain way. But you can't know God until you read His words, until you read what He said. The Bible gives us the nature of who God is, his personality, his priorities, his will, how he relates to mankind. 
It's essential to know him. And the final S is you've got to speak. You've got to listen. You've got to speak. You've got to talk. There's no relationship without talking. Speak and listen. Speak and listen. This week, why don't you take 10 minutes every day? If you've drifted away from God, take 10 minutes every day. and Just reconnect. If you've got a great relationship with God, great. You'll take this a lot further. Maybe you've already got a better rhythm than this. But mate, this is a challenge for you. At least this week, take 10 minutes every day just to connect with him. Not to read a devotional, not to listen to a worship song, just to sit, breathe him in, breathe him out. Sit, just listen in silence. Just be still. Something that God's been working on with me in my devotional time is just to be still. So I've been putting a, a timer on my phone and just trying to sit in silence for five minutes. And then this week I upped it to about 10 minutes just to sit in silence. It's hard. What happens after a minute? I start thinking about this job I've got to do today. What happens after a minute? There's this concern over here or something I need to do with the kids. It's very difficult to have true silence. Silence of mind, silence of heart. Not just silence in the room, but just to be silent. Just to know God, to be still and to know Him. So right now as these guys play a little bit of background music, I just want you to sit and be still and be silent and just connect with Jesus. Just close your eyes. Be comfortable in your seat. I'd encourage you to hold the body, the blood in front of you, before you. Just this is a symbol. This is a symbol. There's no actual power in these literal pieces of communion, but there's power in Jesus. These symbolize his blood. These symbolize his body. This is available to all of you. His body that was broken on the cross, his blood that was shed to wash you, to make you clean. I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes and I just want to connect with Jesus. Say no to distractions. Say no to other thoughts. Stop thinking about the sermon. Just look at Jesus in the face. See his smiling face. See God's loving arms. Feel the presence of the Holy Ghost all around you. This is the simplicity of the Christian faith. If you're not a Christian, this is all, this is how it begins. You just have a loving relational connection with God. That's it, just a connection with Jesus. Everything else flows from that in good time. But everything starts with that connection. If you've been a Christian for a hundred years, well, guess what? You always cycle back around to reconnecting with Jesus at another level, in a new way, in a new season. Thank you, Lord.
stand in your presence there's no guilt no shame from you but forgive me when I've rushed by you when I've hurried to become something that I don't even really want to be I want a great connection I want a loving relationship I want you to be first the first love, the center, my everything, to know you, to know you more. Thank you, Jesus, that you'll take care of everything else. I can consider it, I can consider it garbage. You'll take care of it. I trust in you. Just feel free to take the... uh, bread, the cracker, blood this morning. You just pray your own prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we want this church community, Lord God, to be a place that so honors you, that so has you at the center of everything we do. Have your way. Come, Holy Spirit. Move in our hearts. Thank you that you're not here to condemn us, but you're here to help us. You're not here to embarrass us. It's your loving kindness that draws us into a devotional time. It's your loving kindness that draws us away to a quiet time. Help us to return to the simplicity of our faith. Forgive us for where we thought we're so important as a mum, a dad, 
a boss, a worker, a sick person, a well person, or whatever excuse person. Forgive us, Lord God. Let us drop the excuses. You already know their excuses. You see right through our inauthenticity. We just want to come to you in the freedom that you offer us to have a relationship with you. Amen. Let's really encourage you. I didn't get to it in my notes, but, you know, follow, follow the gospel of the turtle. <laughs> follow the gospel of the turtle. You don't need to be a hare. It's the turtle that wins the race. And this is what it's like having a relationship with Jesus. It's not about being the fastest or the best or finishing first. Like the turtle, it's just running the race, loving God. That's what your prayer life should look like. Just an ongoing, slow relationship with Him that's formed and shaped day by day. Day by day. I'd particularly, as we finish this morning, I'll hand over to Leanne to close, but I'd particularly love to pray for people that really need to connect with Jesus, maybe for a first time, or people that really need to reconnect with Him. You just need to to get that connection back. You just need to get it solid. You just need to clear out all the leaves and the dust and the cobwebs that have come. And you just, it's, it's almost like today is a restarting. And if that's you and God's speaking to you, and I want you to come up here because, you've, because I've asked you, I want you to come up here because God is asking you. There's a lot of power sometimes in just coming up at the end and joining with someone and praying. Or if you just want to start off a connection with Jesus, and you've never really started that properly. I'd just love to do that with you this morning. So thanks, Pastor Leah. So we're going to just officially close the service now. Thank you for joining us. And I hope that... Um, you've been affected by the power of God today. And as Caleb said, he would love to pray with people. There's also a team that would love to join him and pray with you. So please feel free to stay where you are, to grab a coffee or come and get prayed for. But have an awesome week and we look forward to seeing you next week as well. God bless.